You know, so many people in the world have these to-do lists, and lists are good. There's actually a book out there. It's called The Checklist Manifesto, and it talks about uh, certain things have less opportunity of going wrong when we check them off a list. And so um, Lauren French teaches flying, and they the reason why that airplane doesn't crash is he does a checklist. He runs through certain things have to be done. And to balance that, some people have uh, a to-don't list or what not to do. Uh, I saw on the Internet this week, I guess they're prepping uh, those who go to the Grammys. Here's what not to do or when they give their Oscar speeches in public speaking. Uh, don't data dump. Don't, this is, you've got two minutes. You don't need to thank everybody like your high school teacher and, that, and then her teacher's aide and then that teacher's aide friend. You don't need to do that. So stop data dumping is what they said. Don't go on and on. It'd be like me up here just talking about something and just keep and then the next thing. It's called going down the rabbit trail. And they said, don't speak too fast. So you get up there and you start speaking too fast and I want to thank you for this. And then we have to talk about prayer today and then we're going to go do a baptism. And then don't be too vulnerable. Don't get up there and just... I mean, there's a time and place to share with people your heart, but it's not like, last week we had this. They said, don't do it. Uh, When you're on a gun range, there's certain things you don't do. You don't point that gun at anything you don't want to shoot, right? There's just certain things we don't do. When you're lifting heavy objects, uh, you don't lift with your back. I don't want you to go home and try it, but just trust me, don't lift with your back. And today we're going to look at certain things, two things, um, these are ways we should not pray. And you saw me allude to it or heard me allude to it last week about there, prayer isn't just, just because you're bowing your head or you don't have to bow your head. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But just because you're praying to God, it's not a free-for-all. We don't just to go to God with whatever. There are certain ways we don't do things. And that's what we're looking at today, the elements of bad praying. From a human point of view, we're going to see what not to do, but embedded in these What makes them beautiful, and you often miss this, if you're so concerned with what's my responsibility, you miss the beauty and the character of God. And we're going to see that today in Matthew 5. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew 6, actually. Matthew 6, uh, 5 through 8. And we're going to look at uh, a preview. You can go back there, Travis. We're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the religious way of not to pray. You don't want to do this. This is the religious way. And you also don't want to do this. This is the irreligious way. And then we'll look at the gospel way to pray. And all of this is red letter text out of the mouth of Jesus. And so here we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And before I get there, I I just want to say something. Jesus often speaks, and you will agree, Jesus often speaks in absolutes, and he doesn't take time to kind of give the background or our or, or systematize everything and nuance it so that you walk away going, um, okay, I've, he, he said everything, A to Z on this one issue. He speaks in absolutes. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He doesn't go on to say, I'm speaking in a hyperbole here, and I would not want... He doesn't do that. He just says it. And so he does that with prayer here today. He says some things, and people get caught up, and they say, well, well Jesus said I'm to go in my room. There should never be any public prayers. Nonsense. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he speaks in absolutes, and he does that on prayer today. Last week, uh, we looked at Luke 1, excuse, 11, 1 through 13. That is the Lord's Prayer. And today, we're starting to look at Matthew 6. And some people get all caught up about, well, Jesus, is that the same prayer? Or they, it's, it's, it's the same prayer. There's a few nuances to it. Yeah, I get it. But Jesus, in his humanity, it, it, it would be like... It, 
This would be robotic because they said, well, there's differences in Jesus for sure. There's nothing. There must be something wrong with the Bible. Somebody in Luke missed it or Matthew added too much. No, no. Two different occasions. This is the one where the disciples overhear him praying. And so the disciples respond, ask him, hey, teach us to pray. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches the same prayer. It's different. It would be, it would be uh, crazy if we were in a round and every time you heard me talk about a specific issue uh, or my greeting to you, you would think I was robotic. If you came up to me today and I said, good morning, how are you? I hope you're having a good day. How's everything in your life? And then uh, the next person you hear me talk, good morning, how are you? I hope you have a good day. How's everything in your life? You would think that's robotic. We're, we're humans, and Jesus in his humanity, he's still deity in his humanity, he taught and he said it one way here, and then he taught and he said it another way here. In a sermon, it's a little fuller, a little richer. So don't get bent out of shape because there's two forms of the same Lord's Prayer. He begins with verse 5, and, and he's in the middle of the, this is, this is, the greatest sermon by the greatest preacher ever. Simple statements, memorable illustrations. If Spurgeon is the prince of preachers, this, my friends, is the king of communications. Jesus Christ does in 108 verses what I will spend the rest of my life trying to do. But he is simple. He's to the point. He covers a litany of information, and he does it well. And so he begins, and. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray. And so what he's going to do is he's going to take this Sermon on the Mount. Here's, let, let's just take a real quick look at the Sermon on the Mount. You get chapter 5, you get these Beatitudes uh, in 5, 1 through 6. And then you get these law attitudes in, in uh, the end of chapter 5. Then you get what we're going to be in, these religious attitudes. And then your life attitudes. Three times, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Seek first his kingdom and all these things you worry about will be taken care of. And seven, the social attitudes, how do we relate to others? And then the salvation attitudes, there's just two ways to live. You can walk down the narrow road or you can go down the wide road. And there, there is a narrow lane on the wide road, by the way. People want to say, oh, I'm, I'm a moral, but you're moral and you're on that narrow lane, but you're on the wide road to destruction. And then in six, notice this. He gives an introduction. He, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. For you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That is the introduction. And then he talks about three things that he assumes we're doing. When you fast, when you pray, when you give. And so in 2 through 4, you see fasting. You've given three verses. In 16 through 18, you're, you're talking about your giving of money. Uh, that, that's three verses. But you're given... 11 verses, 5 through 15, you're given 11 verses on praying. Today we're going to cover five of them. And when you pray, when you pray, you see that over and over. You see it in verse 5, verse 6, 7, you saw it in Luke 2, you see it in Luke 11, 2, you see it in Mark eleven twenty five. you see it in Colossians and Philemon. When you pray for Jesus, a prayerless disciple is incomplete. When you pray, it's like breathing. It's just what we do. You must not be like the hypocrites. Now, who he's talking about here, he's talking about Jewish hypocrites. He's going to deal with Gentile um, in the incorrect ways that the Gentiles pray in the next paragraph. But here he says, 
don't be like, and you could if you were taking notes, insert Jewish hypocrites. Back in that day, the hypocrites were play actors. It was a Greek word for the theater and those who would play act. They would, they would be, I'm Judd Rumley in real life, but my actor's name is, I don't know, Michael Weston or Neil Caffrey, whatever your favorite show is. But they would play act and they would sometimes even put on a mask. Hey, I'm Judd. Then I'd put on it. He said, don't be a play actor when it comes to prayer. For they, these Jewish hypocrites, love. They love. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That is, this is how they pray. They stand. They want to be formal and respectful. And they pray where? In the synagogues and in the street corners. They want to be seen as religious people. They want to be seen as uh, people in the community who are religious. But he gives an answer. And the key is they love to stand and pray in different places that they may be seen by others. Their whole life is not about true devotion unto God. Their entire life is about pleasing people, about making um, their lives look good in front of others. They want to be seen by others. That's why they pray. One commentator said they love to pray, but it is not prayer that they love. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward, their sin. You want to be seen by people? You'll be seen. You, you just got seen. But their prayers may not have been answered by God. And this is the classic fear of man. This is classic people pleasing. They're more concerned about their reputation than true righteousness. These are, these are people who are, want to be, say their prayers so that others would say, wow, they really pray well. Now, this is not, so we have to back off just a little bit. This is not about uh, anti-structured prayer. In fact, next week I'll, I'll do that so that you see it's, we're not against it. You can take the Valley of Vision. It's a wonderful prayer book, and you can pray those prayers publicly, and it's a good thing because those are well-written, well-thought-out prayers. This is not against public praying. Jesus would go on in Matthew 11, and he would make a public, before he invites, come to me, all you who are uh, weary and heavy laden, he makes a public prayer. And so this isn't that. What this is getting at is the heart. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Are we praying so that other people would know that we pray? Even if you don't do it publicly, do you, do you tell people about how good of a prayer warrior you are? I'm just so good at prayer. I pray morning. I'm like Daniel. I get up. I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just making a point for the illustration. I get, I'm like Daniel three times a day. Are you are you sincere when you do that? Or are you just doing that so you can say that you pray a lot? Jesus says, don't do that. Not good. And then he gives. He's the master communicator. He gives you what you should do. But when you pray, so don't pray this way. But when you pray, he's going to give you Two of the three things he's going to talk about. He's going to give you a place. He's going to give you a purpose. And next week we'll start getting into the plan. And so he says, when you pray, go into your room. That is, be intentional. It's a place, uh, when he says, go into your inner room, that was a place inside the house where there were no windows. Often it's small, and it's where valuables were kept. It's go into that room. So you're intentional. When I go here, this is when I pray. Uh, if you've seen the movie War Room, 
she literally had a closet. And it's a good, it was, it, if you've seen it, it was great. Took her a while to get used to. Go into her closet. You know, take in the Sprite and the chips and get comfy in your, but she would go into her closet. And it was awkward at first, but then you see God work and transform her heart as she goes from like this mere routine to this place where she was being devoted to God. And you see those scriptures posted and those prayers posted on her wall. Not for anyone else to see, but that was a place for her. Some people have a place. Um, Some people have a prayer chair. I know one of my favorite pastors has a bench in his study. Uh, I'll just share with you. Maybe I'll lose this reward in heaven. Um, I have a place. You would laugh at where the place is. But in Sunday mornings, I don't want to go out into the living room and turn on the light because that'll wake everybody up. Um, I don't necessarily want to go downstairs because it's cold. Um, So I make a cup of coffee. And we have a big bathroom. It's a master bath. And I, that's where I pray and prepare today. Nice shower and wash. It's all good. Uh, but that's it. That's it. I have a place. Oh, I lost it. I have an unread in Kroger. Or I have a, go to a place. And, and then you go with logic. It's not only intentional, it's logical. But, and shut the door away from disturbance and distraction. I just have one question on this. It's not hard. What distracts you from prayer? What distracts me? Social media? technology, whatever's on your work calendar, what distracts us? I, I've tried, and I, I'm not good at it and can't do it. I've tried those little prayer apps, and they're good ones. Prayer Mate or Pray with the exclamation point, they're good ones. And they're, they're, they're useful. But for me, personally, so I'm not saying don't. If you have Prayer Mate, don't go delete the app. Don't do it. Don't do that. But for me personally, I, I get I get on there, and then it's so easy to go. Oh, there's a little email thing. I wanted to Safari thing, and I'm not careful. There's a game, you know. And then I sat down to be praying, and I got distracted. So close the door. As we heard last week, what David Pallison said, and I think it's true. You go and you close the door because. You're speaking to your Father. It's a, it's a verbal communication that makes prayer more real. That I am having a conversation with the creator of the universe. And so there's intention, there's logic, and it's relational. Pray to your Father. Often, I will, uh, at least once a month, I will, and, and this is a beautiful picture. One of my kids will come up to me, when are we going on daddy-son time? Or when can we do a daddy-daughter day? I'm like, it is time. And I go spend time with each of my kids. And, you know, I got three of them, so every fourth Sunday, it's daddy-mommy time. So we go to the diner. We need to do that. It's, it's our church. Let's go to the diner. You get a little uh, veggie burger. It'll be good. But, but you go to your fi- It's intentional. You get alone with them, and you spend time with them, and you ask them questions. But it's the same here. You go to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And you spend time with your father. And, you, and, and, and often you have to, in the day and age we live, you have to make a caveat. Don't ever compare God the Father with your father. 
on an equal basis. Even the best of fathers fall short. But too often we export whatever happened to us with our father and we throw it on to God the Father and he is not like that. He is perfect and he is there. And so you pray to him. You, you develop this relationship with him. This is one thing that's helped me in my prayer life is I'm not just praying through a list. I'm not just sitting down and giving my request. I'm building a relationship. So we go and we go to our Father who is in secret. Now, if you read this too quickly, okay, I got that. I shouldn't, it's about my heart attitude. Next, move on. But your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That is, He will hear your prayers and He will answer them. And as one person prayed this morning, He may not answer them the way you want, but He will answer them according to His will. See, Jesus excelled in private prayer. If you were to get that list, there's a couple out on the front table. You'll see that he was into private prayer and he wasn't against public praying. But what he said is, when you pray this way, your father who sees in secret, he'll reward you. And you got to pause there and you go, this says something marvelous about my father. He sees in secret. He sees. He, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. Put that down for you young kids. That means he is always everywhere. Psalm 139. We read it earlier. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. We'll come back to that. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. You're everywhere. He's everywhere. And it was when we were, when, when Mickey was reading this earlier, it hit me. There's my answer. The next time we have these big discussions about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and how can God be everywhere, here's my answer. It's too wonderful. It, we can't attain it. He's everywhere. How? I, I in my finite mind can't figure. You're not supposed to. It's too wonderful for me. It's too pele is the Hebrew. I cannot attain it. Wow. He is everywhere. He sees everything. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. We can't find ISIS. The bad guys have gotten away. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. He sees everything. He's that Father who sees everything. And He sent His Son to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead, and His final words were to us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Spirit. And here's what he says to end that in Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's always with you. You don't need to ask him to be with you. He's with you. He's with you. He's right here. He's And where two or more are gathered, I understand that immediate context of church discipline, but spread it out. We're gathered together. He is here with us. And when I am out on the road by myself at 4.30 in the morning, 
He is with me. He is with you wherever you go. He is with us. He is ever-present, and that should blow you away. So you can go into the secret places of your home, and you can pray, and God will hear you. He doesn't have to be perfect. Wow. And then next week, he's going to give a plan. But before that, he gives us one more thing not to do. That is the religious way. The religious want to be buttoned up. They want to look good. They want to present that they have it all together. Their prayers are very eloquent. Father. Probably have a British accent when they pray, too. But they, they, they pray, and it's, it's just very respectful, and, and all of this. And, and we're not anti. We want to be respectful, but they're, they're just drilled, dialed in on how they're praying. But it's not coming from a heart that loves God. Let me just read you. It's not up there, um, but I'll just read you how some of that might sound. In Luke 18, um, he said, the, the ruler says this, Actually, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, very good, Elohim, I thank you that I am not like other men. And, and he goes on to name them, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes, tithes of all that I get. And so he just, it's great, sounds wonderful. But he was praying, some would say, to himself. And so that's one way not to pray is the religious way. But then there's this irreligious way. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So he's now moved away from Jewish hypocrite to Gentiles. For they think they will be heard for their many words. It's an interesting, if you look at the Greek word here, I put it up there. And if you have the NIV, they bring it out. It's batalageo. And just, just looking at it, it looks like babbling. Do not go on babbling, says the NIV. Don't do that. They, people think, the, if, I just, if I just just beat God down with my words, it doesn't matter really what my words say. It, does, it, it can be thoughtless. I'm just going to beat him down with thoughtless words. No, 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 no. God's not into mechanical praying, and he's not into manipulation with special phrases or all, well, I prayed for an hour. God is not a genie that you rub the magic lamp and then he grants your three wishes. Interesting story in church history. Uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley. So Whitfield would be more line up more on the Calvinistic side, and, and Wesley was was Arminian, and they had just gotten through. It was a long day. They had just both teamed up, and this is good. It's together for the gospel. It's where I'm going this week. They had teamed up. They were preaching. In London, it was a long day. They administered to people. They get, they're sharing a room in the hotel. They get back. Whitfield says, Dear Lord, thank you for the work that you did through us today. Give us a good night's rest so we can get up and do it again tomorrow. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. To which Wesley said, Is that where your Calvinism le- leads you? Whitfield rightly doesn't respond and just falls asleep. Three o'clock in the morning, Whitfield gets up. To, to get something, and he sees Wesley asleep on the floor where it's cold. He shakes him. And Wesley had gone on to pray these long prayers and said, is that where your Arminianism gets you? And he helped him back into bed. You don't have to, you, and you're being persistent. That's what we got last week. You don't have to be long-winded. God hears. Say your prayers. 
Is he against long prayers? No. Read Psalm 119. It's 176 verses, or 156 verses. It's the longest prayer in the Bible. So God is not an anti-long prayer. Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't try to manipulate God. Don't try to be say special phrases. That's where Christianese comes in. And if we say something a certain way, we think God hears us more. No, no, no. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. He says, do not be like them. In fact, you can, Bunyan said it like this, that in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. And that's what they were doing. They, they had no heart for God. They're just, I'm going to pray and I'm going to speak. I'm going to try to get God to do what I want him to do. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows. He knows. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He knows what he's going to give you. He is omniscient. That is, he is all-knowing. That means he knows everything. He knows everything. That's the classic question. Why should I pray? Because prayer is going to change you. Is it going to change God? No. You don't change God. He knows everything from beginning to end. Prayer changes us. But I've been taught that prayer is the nerve that moves the hand of God. Prayer is what changes us to be in God's will. He knows what you need before you even ask him. In fact, J.I. Packer says, that's the next slide, that prayer, God answers the prayer we ought to have made rather than the prayer we did make. Sometimes we pray the wrong prayer and God will answer how we ought to have prayed. You're telling me that God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, show me that from the scripture. I will. Psalm 139, verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. You've seen me do this illustration. It's a fun illustration. Well, he knew what I was going to say right before. I said it. He knew I was going to be the next word. He knows. How about Isaiah 46? This is huge. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. This is what he says in verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. And he's going to explain what separates him from all other so-called gods out there. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, and th this is ancient times and things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish my purpose. Calling the bird of prey from the east, a man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have proposed and I will do it. Do you need more? Let's go to Isaiah 65, 24. Catch this. Before they call, before they call upon me, I will answer while they are yet speaking, I will hear. God knows everything, and he's going to work it out according to his plan. Daniel 10, 12 says it like this. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. And he's explaining to Daniel 
in chapter 10 of this book, how Daniel, who had faithfully gotten on his knees every day, prayed three times a day, and he was praying for the, what was going on in that country. He said, fear not, Daniel, for the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your word. So even before Daniel was done praying, God heard them and he came because of them. That doesn't mean he was waiting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting on Daniel. I'm waiting on Daniel. Go. I can go now. That's not what he's doing. He understood that as Daniel got down to pray, Daniel was getting in line with the will that we've already shown him in the word that has been worked out from beginning to end. Matthew says it like this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Now I redid this so you see what it means. And not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father. And him knowing that. There's not, God, not God's up in heaven. Oh, Jesus, did you see that bird over there? Because I didn't see him fall. Did you catch that? Because that, that just got by me. That's not what he does. He knows the birds when they fall. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And some of you have more hairs. He knows this. He doesn't, I don't stop there because in Hebrews it says it again. And no creature is hidden from him sight. He sees everything. And 1 John tells us again. 1 John 3, 20 says this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whatever our heart condemns us, God is greater in our heart. He knows everything from beginning to end. And so the question is, does prayer change God's mind? I'll hold that for the last week in the series, like I've been saying, but I'll give you an assignment. Go read Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11, and you'll see that's a great passage of Scripture to see. God only and always acts according to His sovereign will and His decree. Always and only. Does God pray? Does prayer change God's mind? I'll answer that in a couple of weeks. But here's let me give you my thoughts. When I read those verses, I don't go, "Oh, God knows everything." Oh, God's worked out everything from beginning to end. Oh, I guess I won't pray. That's not what I do, and I don't think that's what any believer does who reads those verses. Are like, "Oh, God's in absolute control. The meticulous details of all of life. I shouldn't pray." No, I'm a compatibilist, much like John Frame, Bruce Ware, and these guys, that God has absolutely determined everything, and we still make decisions. And so because he has, I will get on my knees, and I will pray because I know he will answer according to his will. It doesn't, it doesn't thwart my prayer life. It ignites it. My God, the God of the Bible, your God, he's in control of everything. He knows everything. I'm going to pray to get in line with his will, and I'm going to watch him work. Here's a great example. I didn't know what was going to happen two weeks ago. Hey, we're going to raise some money for the Gamora Segura Museum. Did you know? Did it, raise your hand if anybody knew 58, 60 were coming in? Nobody? God did. He knew it before, like he knew it before time began. This is what, this is what, this is where you go, I get it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He knew it. And we, we asked you to give. I got down on my knees and prayed. We prayed together for this. And he answered. I don't go, 
well, I guess I shouldn't have prayed. No, that's not what I do. I go, praise the Lord, we prayed. So I hope when you hear this, you're not like, you get, you get discouraged because God's sovereign. I hope you would get encouraged and go, that's the God I want to pray to. And God, when I'm praying, if anything needs to change in me or if these aren't your plans, I want to see it because your plan is better than my plan. Your plan is better than my plan. And, and when Mickey was reading it, I had to walk back and write this down because I hadn't taught it at this angle before. He knows everything. And people always get all upset. You mean God's you're a determinist? What about God and evil? But if I go to Psalm 139 and I read that closely, let's just read it closely. Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And he finishes. There you go. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And then he moves on to a different subject. Next sentence. And in your book were written the days that were paused, paused, ordained. Done. Done deal. Before you're even born, while you're still a baby in the womb, God's got it. That shouldn't discourage you. That should encourage you. My life is in his hands. He, he knows my days when there is not yet one of them. Oh, this, is a, this is a wonderful God. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I'm through trying to figure it out. So if you come to me one day and say, can you help me with God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? It's too wonderful for you. It's too wonderful for me. But I'm going to preach a big old sovereign God, and I'm going to say we ought to persist and knock and beat down that door in a reverent, holy, heart-motivated, gospel-oriented way. Beat down the door. And so the religious way, if we're going to end this, the religious way is light without heat. That is, it is based upon performance. It is, I'm going to be like the Pharisee in Luke 18. I'm just going to acknowledge there is a God. God, I'm going to give him my list, and I'm going to, I'm going to button it up. I'm going to make it look real pretty. But there's absolutely no heat. There's no passion. The heart is in the wrong place. Let's, let's not be a people who are concerned with the way, with what people think when we pray. Let's just pray. Let's just pray to our Father. Let's develop a relationship. Let's be concerned about how our relationship is with the Lord, not necessarily what it looks like. It will ma- When you are concerned about your relationship with the Lord and doing right by Him according to the Scriptures, all that other stuff will work itself out. And finally, uh, if you're not like a Gentile, we don't want heat without light. We want, don't want all this passion, and we're just coming and we're praying willy-nilly without the truth. This is like 1 Kings 8, 18. This is like the prophets of Baal. They slit their wrists. They walked around their, their altar, and they were just saying all these incantations, trying to get their God to come. 
And Elijah goes, really? He's not asleep? He's preoccupied right now? Look at that. Preoccupied? Really? Neither. So, so we don't want to be performing in prayer, but we don't want to be thoughtless in prayer. And that's a perfect way to end this, because next week we will get, well, then if we're not supposed to be performing, and we're not supposed to be thoughtless, Jesus, tell us then how to pray. More on that next week. Father, thank you for this time together. Father, I thank you publicly before my brothers and sisters that you are absolutely sovereign. You know everything. Thank you for that part of who you are. A God who knows everything. A God who sees everything. A God who is all-powerful. Thank you. Because I know when I come to you, my prayers will be answered. And that you will get me to line up with your will. And should I be praying what's in accordance with your will, you will work it out in your perfect timing. So I thank you that you have it all worked out. I thank you that I don't have to figure it out. And I thank you you've given me the privilege, the responsibility to come to you and pour my heart out to you to give you every concern that's on my heart. That you've told me to cast everything upon you because you care for me. That blows me away. And how you work it out in your sovereignty and my responsibility, I now see as I just thank you for enlightening my eyes even during the time of Scripture reading that this knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too wonderful for anyone. And one day maybe you'll give us a taste of all of that. And if you should not, I don't care because I'm glad that you're in control. thank you that you took a Gentile like myself who is a Pharisee at heart and you converted him. And you knew it the whole time. You're great. I pray these things in Jesus' name for your glory and for 